to go on holiday. Like I rented, you know, a whole stack of clothes to go on holiday for an extended rental and took them away for three weeks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, in my dream world, um, you'd actually rent and have it delivered to the hotel where you're going. You travel without luggage. Welcome to Startup West, a podcast about building scalable tech startups in sunny Western Australia. My name is Beth Cornelia. And I'm Charlie Gunningham. And today we're talking with Jen, one of the co-founders of The Vault. That's V-O-L-T-E. They allow people to borrow and lend high-end designer fashion online. What I love about the team is their boundless energy and positivity in building a great business in a highly competitive industry. They absolutely are. And it's a very relevant one because Mm. you cannot be seen out in the same thing once you've grabbed it. So they are saving girls and guys everywhere uh, with their awesome, awesome inventions. So please enjoy our chat with Jen. Welcome to Startup West, Jen. Thanks very much. Thanks for being here. Now, for those of us who don't know The Vault, can you tell us about The Vault and what it does? Sure, I can tell you lots about it. Um, So The Vault's a peer-to-peer marketplace for designer rental fashion. So we basically rent designer dresses uh, between individuals and also between corporates. Awesome. So how long has The Vault been going for? What stage of the business are you at? Uh, So we started thinking about it a while ago. Um, (laughs) Probably back in 2016, we started development and then we launched in May of 2017. Um, So we've just finished our seed round sort of late last year, early this year. And so now we're sort of, I guess, in hopefully the growth phase. Awesome. In the scale-up phase. That's right, in the scale-up phase. No longer a startup. Fun part. So what problem are you solving? Um, look, we kind of think we solve a number of problems mm-hmm. like to, you know, it, there's a lot of different places when you start Googling dress rentals where you can go. Um, we see it as like this sort of, you know, closet full of clothes, nothing to wear. It's always a problem, particularly in the Instagram age. So we, I guess, are about giving people sort of access to authentic designer fashion. Um, we're also really interested in sustainability and sort of trying to sort of, I guess, disrupt the fast fashion movement and encourage people to invest in real designer goods, not these sort of really environmentally damaging fast fashion alternatives. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of, I guess, a support for that part of the industry as well. And was this a problem you encountered with your co-founders, who I believe it's your sister? Yes. And yep. two other sisters. There's four <laughs> sisters running this. Well, it is. two so pairs were, of sisters. Were you already sharing clothes and realising that you, there <laughs> needed to be a better way to do this? Look, I think growing up, both of us, because obviously Ben Dett's my sister and then we also have two other co-founders, Kim and Jade, who are also sisters. Right. Um, we definitely did the sharing clothes thing growing up, but <laughs> probably also we came back and uh, I guess started having kids and also having 8,000 weddings and mm. realised <laughs> that there was not a lot out there. Um, I went to go and rent a dress and I was told that they didn't have anything in my size which, you know, was size 12. It was not like, you know. That's the average Australian size. That's a normal size. Yeah, no, no. I I could only wear a caftan. So that was really (laughs) (laughs) encouraging. (laughs) So it's also, it sounds like you've got a bit of a, um, there's a bit of a social social enterprise aspect to this. Like you said, the sustainability, the just making it, reasonable to and easy to hire dresses and nice clothes yeah absolutely and not also spending so much money on it you know because you don't want to spend thousands of dollars and wear it once which is inevitably what you end up doing particularly you know eight thousand weddings five balls like a ball dress how often Mm. do you wear a ball dress um so if you can get a better i guess cost per wear down it's much Mm. better so you mentioned just before you're in scale up mode what is that what does that mean the future looks like what does the next year look like for you guys at the moment 
hopefully lots of growth. That's really yes. what we're going for. So I guess really getting the marketing out there so people know who we are and what we do. And I mean, I guess the challenge for us is always we're trying to change consumer behavior. It's not just about selling a product. It's really about trying to, I guess, educate the community as well that this is an option that they haven't previously thought of. I mean, I think the best example is still, you know, 10 years ago and we told you, you know, don't get in cars with strangers. And now, you know, on the internet, find a stranger on the internet and get yes. in his car. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's backwards, isn't it? We're yeah. Yeah, so I think that changing consumer behaviour is really what we're seeking to do. So we see that as the real scale-up point for our business. And so the two pairs of sisters, were you also friends growing up, the four of you? Or no. did you meet later on? No, we met later on. I didn't actually know Kim and Jade at all till we started The Vault. Oh. Um, Bernda and Kim's husbands are really good friends, so mm-hmm. they knew each other and were friends. Right. Um, but then we kind of decided to do it together in the end and it sort of made sense, I think, for all of us. And what was the aha moment when you said, I think we've got a business, the four of us, are going to do it? Um, Brenda and I talked about it quite a bit on and off since she'd come back from London. Um, And then she went to a dinner party and told Kim about it, essentially. We hadn't really done anything. And then Kim said, let's actually do it. And then she right. brought Jade in, obviously, as her sister as well, because it, it's helpful to have co-founders. I think anyone who does yes. it by themselves is And had any of you done an online business before or a business before, had commercialisation experience? Kim has built a um, health company before, like a medical practice. So she right. had some sort of business experience, which was really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably had a little bit of tech from building. I used to sort of help build educational websites for universities. So that was sort of, I guess, a little bit of knowledge, at least, mm-hmm. in the tech space, which really helped as well. Um, and Bernadette worked at a lot of um, hedge funds, so she had quite a lot of the financial experience, which is something we really okay. valued, and Jabe was much better at that social media stuff. So we kind of all brought something different. Right. I was about to say, it sounds like you've all very easily found the role that you suit best as as co-founders. How easy is that to manage, obviously, being friends, having family relationships, uh, your husband's as best friends, things like that? How does that I actually think it's, been, it's something some of the investors we talked to when we were trying to raise for Seed Ram were worried about that we were sisters, but actually it's really good because you can be really honest with your siblings and they can't hate you they still like to see you at family <laughs> dinner so you know you can have a lot of hard conversations I think and it's got a layer of you're still family like nothing that happens can ever really disrupt that mm. um so I think it's been really good actually having that relationship there I think that's been a real positive for us and the roles I mean it's a startup so we all do everything to an extent yeah. Yeah. we are now starting to diverge a little bit more than we used to as we grow but I mean I, th- I would like to think that we could all step into any of the roles if we So it sounds like you've got more of a technical role than the others. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you've come to be where you are well it's quite yeah it's quite varied so yeah so I did law Take us back. yeah I did oh, law, law and politics at uni Fantastic. um and then went to work for the government for a while so I worked in policy and sort of project management in the government and then I went back and did a PhD uh in politics which was really great wow yeah no so yeah if you need but to politics anything, was not for you no, this I is did, fairly, I did, a fairly sideways step. It is. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I did. My PhD was actually on North Korea, so that's been an okay. interesting run. And then I was a politics lecturer up until we started the vault. So I've only yeah, recently, I guess, in the last couple of years left that. I haven't wheeled you out with all the North Korea stuff that's I have on. done a few interviews. Oh, really? <laughs> about yeah. Kim. My PhD is actually on Kim, so we oh have nice. done a bit on it. It's a whole different podcast. It's a different world, yeah. <laughs> how, how could we marry those, those worlds? And so Fashion more. and Kim Jong-un. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's divergence from what I used to do. <laughs> Burns, Bernie was a qualified lawyer. You yes. started law and then went to Oh, politics. no, I finished law. You finished law? Just didn't practice. Didn't practice. Yeah, so Kim right. and Bernie both did law as well, um, but they oh, were goodness. actual real lawyers. I just have the degree. I was more of a pretender. And between you, I think, you have 11 children and the 12th on the way. We do, yes. Oh, we my goodness. 
an average of three each. How on earth do you manage all that? Lots of help. We're all about outsourcing. So <laughs> I think that, yeah, I mean, it's one of the big sort of misnomers is people who say, oh, I do everything. You don't do everything. You get help. So we right. have, you know, lots of very supportive husbands and nannies and grandparents involved. So that really makes a big difference. Oh, my goodness. And you've been earning revenue pretty much from the start. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we've... it's grown. You have, you know, you're scaling. Yeah. But, you know, not much revenue to start with. But <laughs> Not much revenue. Yeah. It was peer-to-peer, right? So people were lending fashion, high-end fashion to each other. Yes. Correct? Yes. But so now... it's a marketplace. Yep, it's a marketplace. Yeah. Oh, it's Airbnb com- for dresses. That's how we kind of describe nice. it. Right. But now companies as well. So retailers can market on your platform as well as people yeah we actually kind of that kind of happened organically we didn't really expect that to be a huge part of what we were doing but then naturally a lot of these small sort of individuals who have these dress rental companies use us as their marketing platform to connect them to a wider sort of client base Mm -hmm. um, which has been a really interesting sort of unexpected turn I guess I mean I think Airbnb does the same thing now they've got huge corporates on there as well right Um, I think it's part of the marketplace aspect but probably not one we anticipated going in so how early along the journey did you have to raise money um, so we raised a little bit in pre-seed capital um, and then we did a full raise uh, last year for so seed round. Family and friends to start with? Yeah, family and friends. Um, we also, we actually went through Perth Angels who were really fantastic right. for us. We were really lucky. Um, we had a really positive experience through them. They were a really great group and we've got a really great group of investors um, who bring other stuff to the table, which is something we're always looking for. You know, you don't just want someone to give you money. You want them to give them, you know, money and experience yes. and, you know, what things to avoid, what things to do. What was it like pitching to angels and then later these more sophisticated investors you've now got on? Look, I, don't, I mean, I don't know that it was that different. The angels are really interesting because it's a very diverse group of people in the room. Yeah. So we probably picked up some of our most sophisticated investors through that angel program and we did quite a lot of pitching. Like we sort of started down the process with VCs as well. We didn't end up going down that path, but um, yeah. I mean, that was obviously more in depth. You have more time to actually talk them through the detail. But I mean, even angels, you still have to talk people, it's still their money. Right? Yeah. You have to talk them through the detail of what you're doing to convince them that you're worth taking a bet on. Quite, a, quite a roller coaster. You get a lot of no's. Oh, like, yeah. How do you handle the no's. rejection? I think that's why you need four of you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Someone to commiserate with. Yeah, and look, one of you is, you know, if someone's having a down, like I've got five no's or like, you know, they're having a down moment, someone else is there to sort of, you know, talk them off the ledge. (laughs) 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 So have you guys all been in it full time from the beginning or was it a side hustle to start with? How has that played out? Um, It was initially something we did on the side, but probably since we've been live, it's something we've mostly worked on full time Um, just because it, it takes that sort of effort that's the reality mm-hmm. like you know it's not it's not really people who sort of say I've got this great business on the side like you can but it's really hard you know if yes. you really particularly I think when you take other people's money like you know you investors expect work. you to be full in right yeah it's, it's you know yeah. people say oh you know what days do you work I'm like you work every day like what are you talking about like <laughs> holidays public holidays <laughs> so what is that or what would your advice be to other startups looking for investment just say that you work 24-7 or <laughs> well I think be honest like it's relentless yeah. that's the reality yeah. it's relentless and you're the owner there's no one you know you're the buck stops with you if it's not going well it's your fault and when it goes well it's also your fault so (laughs) you know you've got to take both sides of that coin I think you have control when you get to make the decisions which is something I think all of us coming in had felt you know being involved in law or being involved in government you don't always get to be the decision maker and I think that that's a really nice thing about being a startup is you get to make the decisions Mm. but it's also the worst thing about being in a startup is that you get to make the decisions was there a moment when you thought Oh, we've got a business here. 
Because I think you've done a million in revenue, you were saying. In a yeah, year we've done and a million half. in sales, yeah, which yeah. is exciting. So, yeah, no, it's definitely growing. Well um, I think probably Spring Carnival, we sort of thought it would be a really busy period, but we didn't anticipate how busy. We really, I think, got a taste of how big it could be. Because uh, um, everyone's going out and hiring dresses. And yeah, absolutely. That's it took. So that was last year? That was Spring probably even year. our first year. And then it was sort of confirmed again. We sort of, you know, under-projected for Spring Carnival. Mm. We sort of don't quite know how to project that because it's always bigger than we anticipate. So would that be one of the more unique challenges for your business is the fluctuation that yeah, comes with events, with seasons, with, you know, Christmas, Easter, any ball season, all that kind of yeah, look, it's very seasonal, but I mean, at the same time, we also see it as something that as people's behaviour changes, you know, you used to just take a cab to the airport, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, your parents would come pick you up from a club, but that's not something that I think as people's behaviour change, they'll rent for dinner or they'll rent for lunch with their girlfriends or, you know, to go on holiday. Like I rented, you know, a whole stack of clothes to go on holiday for an extended rental and took them away for three weeks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, in my dream world, um, you'd actually rent and have it delivered to the hotel where you're going. You travel without luggage. Like that's right. that's what I would do okay. now. Like if I, when I go Is to Sydney. Is that future projections? Yeah, for yeah absolutely. <laughs> Like, I mean, I don't, we do casual clothes. So people are renting like t-shirts is a really big seller for us at the moment. Like the designer really? t-shirts. Oh, um, gotcha. Yeah. They're a really big hot ticket item at the moment. There you go. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so and you also do some end of season sales as well as so you can buy off the platform. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. people can, you actually like move, essentially move your own clothes on. So if you've got a dress, you're literally never going to wear it again. Rent it, but you can also sell it. Um, and we have, presumably stores also want to get rid of their old stock and yeah. they put it on your platform. Yeah, particularly because fashion is so cyclical, you know, if it's right. like, you know, you can tell if it's new season or not, if people are interested in that. Mm-hmm. So for some people, they want to be in the new season stuff all the time and they're probably the ones who rent that high end just out, but then they want to move it on if they've bought mm-hmm. it and rented it. Now, two-sided marketplaces are notoriously hard because yeah. you've got to get the supply coming in yeah. for the demand that's there and then get the demand in so the supplier happy as well. So how do you handle that? That's, I've done one of those. They're really hard to it, juggle supply and demand on a two-sided marketplace. It's definitely tricky. I mean, I think one of the problems, I mean, there's been some people who've tried this and failed and they've always had stock liquidity issues on the supply mm-hmm. side. That hasn't really been a problem we've faced. We've actually found that that's, that's definitely something people are kind of uploading. We, we almost can't control the amount of stock that's being uploaded. Um, right. That's probably more the challenge for us. It's so making quality sure our control? Fil- or? Probably more filtering, like mm-hmm. making sure our filters are up to it. So if you want yep. to search, so people can find stuff on the site. We've got over, mm-hmm. I think, 17,000 items now, so there's a lot of stuff. Whoa. So our filters really are where we put a lot of our, um, I guess, attention in terms of tech so that people can find exactly what they're looking for. Yes. So um, 17,000 items on the site. Is that right? Yeah. And I suppose then you need enough demand to come in because you might have one person going, well, this site's not working and no one ever wants my stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess the advantage for us is for a lot of the peer-to-peer people, it's a bonus, it's an offset for something they've already invested in. Right. You know, it's not, I mean, obviously for our it's corporates, it's a bit different. It's not their main stream of income, right? No, it's just like a nice to have. Okay. Like for yeah. me, if I bought a dress, if I ran it three times, that's great. If I don't rent it, you've already sunk the cost into yeah, owning the dress right? absolutely you already made yeah. the decision to buy it exactly. without necessarily anticipating mm-hmm. renting it so it's really just to a certain extent free money 
So what's the competition like? Is, is, it, is there any local, international? You mentioned a second ago other people have tried before and failed with liquidity issues. Yes. The, what is the competition like? Um, look, there's not that much. It's quite a – I mean, I think people sometimes are a bit scared of peer-to-peer marketplaces. So we really there's, – there's one competitor in Australia and there's one in the US and then there's a few very small players, but that's about it. Um, so it's a pretty like there's there's lots of corporates who do it, but not a lot of peer to peer. Right. Okay. And um, anyone you think might be coming into this market in Australia? There's a big one in America. Do you think they might come in? Rent the runway. Yeah. Well, look, I think rent the runway. Well. I mean, I, I hope they they can come in if they buy me. Ah, <laughs> there you go. Love it. Got our exit strategy. Oh, you always have to have an exit strategy, <laughs> right? Um, around the runway, I think their biggest problem is actually stock liquidity. It's interesting. Right. They're the ones who they cannot satisfy demand. I actually went on like a fact-finding trip to the US mm. to kind of test them out and I tried to rent all my clothes from them just so we could see what they were doing and there's just no availability. Right. Um, so the, the amount of money that they're having to sink into inventory is just enormous. So I don't think that there, there will be room for more players because they're never really going to be able to satisfy the demand. Mm. Yeah. So how big is the team now? Um. I have to count a day-to-day basis, probably 10. Right, cool. Yeah. And you, Australia, Australia-wide? Yeah. But so we've got a couple of people. Biggest in Perth or? Biggest, what, sorry? I mean, is your biggest area in Perth that, that you do? No, deals, our or? East Coast is actually our biggest area. So any right. of our staff who work in Perth actually work East Coast hours because that's where most of our mm-hmm. demand and interest is. We have do a you have an Perth. office over there? Uh, yeah, we have. We're part of the sharing hub in mm-hmm. Sydney. So we have some staff who sit in the sharing hub in Sydney, but um, obviously the founders are all in Perth, so our core staff also sit here. Right. And what did you find was the best way to market yourself? What was it? Instagram? Was it social media? Was it? Outdoor billboards, I don't know, what was it that got that worked for outdoor you? Outdoor billboards. <laughs> that <laughs> it's definitely outdoor billboards. That <laughs> That's the way to go. Anyone listening, any competitive outdoor billboards? Yeah, that was really where we put all our money. I think you should spend all your money on billboards. I've been um, roasted here. <laughs> uh, this is an Instagram platform, <laughs> Yeah, look, Instagram's I, a, big, so. a big part of traffic, but probably also just SEO, SEO is really important. So we spend a lot of time making sure that that's up to scratch and trying to always improve it. Yeah. And did you have those skills in-house or did you have to go out and get them? No, we outsource them and we've also developed, I guess, skills in-house. Yeah. You have to upskill if that's the area where you're getting traffic. That's how you've got to, you know, you've got to work out how best to sort of harness that potential. And if there was a big trend that really helped you, and I'm only guessing it, but I'm, I'm thinking it might be the fact that with Instagram and those social media, people don't want to be seen dead in a dress twice. No. So that really helps generate yeah. for you uh, interest, right? Absolutely. They, they want to be seen in a different dress every time they ground themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the young folks no, say. No, no, that's you. Right. You're that's on right. Right. Now, now we're giving you full props. <laughs> you totally got that. Yeah. yeah. No, no, the millennials don't, you can't be no. seen in the same outfit twice. It's quite, it's interesting. We have these two price points. We've got sort of the millennials who want to rent at a lower price more often and then we have the sort of older demographic up to sort of 40 who want to rent at a much higher price because they don't want to be seen in the dresses mm. the millennials are renting. So they actually yes. rent, you know, most of our average price of a dress is like over $1,000 on the site. Really? It's quite hard to find yeah. a woman founder, let alone four women co-founders. <laughs> have you find that? Sorry to ask you the question. It's but okay. <laughs> you have to wear the badge of woman founder in Perth. It's difficult being a tech founder in Perth unless you know a mine or an ASX company or a commercial property. People don't want to invest, and then yeah. you add on that women founder. Oh, they've got kids. Oh, are they in this full time? Are oh, the sisters? 
And then it's fashion. And it's fashion. <laughs> and and I'm missing, yeah, you're pitching to people who just don't get it. Is no, that- and also fashion, like fashion people do, I think people stop listening when we say fashion, even though like I don't, I'm like personally no. we're not particularly great at fashion. Um, it's not really where my strengths lie. But people, the minute you mention fashion, people switch off, which is bizarre given it's a $1.2 billion a industry, industry. Yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Like, like, 1.2 billion in Australia. In Australia, like mm. it's enormous. You know, that that's sort of just even like a, you know, a fraction of what's available worldwide. I think being a female founder is hard because people do, you have to make them listen to you more. Mm. I think you have to be better. Do you get asked different questions that many men would not get asked? Absolutely. Like pitch yeah, kind of thing. I think so. I mean, people ask about work-life balance and how you handle it, and they're all valid questions, but it's always interesting coming from an investor, I think. Mm. Um, you know, they're different questions. And I think we've had some really great um, female investors who understand, right. and they don't ask those questions but are able to mm. offer advice and perspective. But, I mean, I can't count the number of times we've been the only women in the room, yeah. you know, right. you know, repeatedly. So you mentioned work-life balance a second ago. How do you how do you manage that, and how do you get away from it all? Because obviously, if you're working <laughs> with family and friends, mm. how do you separate yourself from something that is, as you said, relentless? Um, I think to be honest, like we're really excited and we're really passionate about it. So, like whilst we get away from it, we also because there's four of us, we have the opportunity that if one of us does have to go away with family and not have to go away, go on a holiday with family, <laughs> chooses there's, to. There's three of us around to yes. kind of pick up the load. So I think I I you know I think the idea of being a sole founder is just so totally terrifying Mm -hmm. I would never do it you need someone else to be able to pick it up if you're sick or you know your husband's sick or whatever it is there's always times when things don't go to plan and I think having four of us really helps yeah fantastic um there must have been a lot of laughs along the way yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> just happy, smiley person. Yeah. Every time I see a new pitch and see Kim and Bernie as well. I guess shout out, Bernie actually won, I think, uh, most admired startup person at our startup awards last year, didn't she? She, she did. She did. She did. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So that was fantastic at the, at the live podcast, if you remember that. All right, we're going to finish with a rapid fire, quick fire round. Okay. So just the first thing comes into your head, the single most important factor that makes a successful startup. Being relentless. You have to be yeah, on all the time. Uh, do you believe in outsourcing or insourcing? Outsourcing. Mm-hmm. Should a startup self-fund or raise money? Both. PC or Mac? Mac, always. Love it. <laughs> Red or white? Red. Ah. There we go. <laughs> I agree. And uh, what podcast do you listen to? I uh, listen to The Daily um, and also, well, it's probably the biggest one. Start, I mean, there's Lady Startup with Mama Mia, which we think is great for local ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. Startup smart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Good. Uh, Look, thanks very much for that, Jen. Uh, I wish you and the team all the best for the future. Going to be fantastic. We're going to watch how the vault goes on from here and scales up. I, uh, Thanks so I have an event coming up, so oh. I think ah. I may be jumping on your website, I must say. Um, so, look, we also, of course, have to thank our sponsors. Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by support from IP Lawyers Raise, Space Cubed Co-working Spaces, Curtin University and BDO Accounting. We also record this podcast at Rift Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Now, we usually release a new Startup West podcast every second Wednesday so look out for that and we'd love to hear from you we actually have a Twitter account now up and running at Startup West Oz AUS on the end so tweet us someone you want to be on the podcast or you've heard someone on the podcast love to hear that leave us a nice review also on the Apple Podcast Store because that really helps other people find us thanks very much Jen thanks Thanks for having me see you all next time